Amen. I've enjoyed the worship time that we've had in music this morning before the Lord. The first time I heard that song, I Will Rise, I got to hear it in a concert with the writer doing it. And that just stirs the heart because that's exactly the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That one day when he calls my name, I'm going to rise up. Now, my prayer to the Lord is that he might call me when I'm underneath the basketball goal. Let me hold the basketball because I'd like to dunk once in my life on a regulation size goal. I'm going to rise when he calls my name. All of us, I'm assuming, that are of driving age have driven and bought cars that ultimately we weren't quite sure if they were actually reliable. Always when you buy a vehicle, you hope that it's going to be reliable, and, but not always do you have the financial wherewithal at the time. You have to buy what you can reasonably take care of. And many of the cars that I've driven over my life have not always stayed very reliable. The first car that we got to drive in high school, my parents owned. It was a 1967 Volkswagen. And that was the first car that we got to drive around. And I had it first. And then my brother, we joined in. Well, that car, when I finally got to have it when my senior year, it wasn't always very reliable. And uh, those of you that ever had a Volkswagen, first of all, you know the engine's in the wrong side of the car. Uh, but many mornings when we would go to school, my brother and I would have to go out and we had kind of a little incline on our driveway and I couldn't get the car started. So the first thing we had to do was push it so we would get out on the street. And then, no, you know, those cars did not have power steering, so we turned it and got it straightened up. And then, because I was the one with the license, I had the unique fun of telling my brother, now, here's what we're going to do. You get behind the car and start pushing. Actually, I'll push alongside of the driver's side door, and I'll have it open, and we're going to get this car going because with the ignition going, how many of you have ever done this, what I'm about to describe? I thought so. You've just dated yourself. You kids have no idea what we're talking about here. And we get that car going along that road, and then I jump in, tell him, keep pushing, keep pushing. And then I'd kick it down into gear and pop the clutch, and the car would start. Well, that's how we got to school, almost every day. And then finally got a car later on, and, and I could go through the list. How many of you ever had a car you really didn't think was that reliable? And you just, you, you know, that's not a good feeling. Well... How many of you ever had somebody that told you they would do something and you were counting on them doing something and they didn't come through, they didn't follow through? All of us have had that. And then the final thing, you know, if all of us are honest, we're not always so reliable either. There are times when all of us have messed up and if people have depended on us for something or thought we were going to follow through. Now, if you can say you've been 100% reliable in your entire life, Confession time will come later. <laughs> Nobody has been all the fact reliable. But I want to look at my life today. I want you to look at your life. I look at the 
fellowship that God has given to us. And I want to tell you the one place that I know that I can go and count on to be absolutely 100% reliable is I can count on the Spirit of God in my life. He's never failed in the past. He's not going to fail me now. And He will never fail you in the future when we rely upon God. I want you to take your Bibles with me this morning, family. Let's open them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're walking with the Apostle Paul, and we're going to be doing this over the next number of months. Walking through this letter of Paul to an incredibly gifted church, filled with wonderful people that Paul, the Apostle Paul, had come to love while he had spent 18 months among them. But after he had left them, and they had continued to grow in Christ and work out the beginnings of that church, Paul came to find out and hear that this gifted church was struggling and had a number of issues that needed to be addressed. And so the Apostle Paul, as he's walking through this letter, is going to give them not only challenges and commands for them to follow through, but in the midst of that, what we hear are the principles that God wants your life and for my life to have so that we might walk in a way to fulfill all his purposes for us. And when we rely on the Spirit of God in our church and in our lives, there's some principles in this chapter through verse 16 that I find the Apostle Paul would say, this is what we rely upon in our church, but I also rely upon it in my life. The first thing is when I rely upon God and on the Spirit of God, we as a church body rely upon the Spirit of God to empower the gospel. To empower the gospel. Paul writes, and he says, by inspiration of the Spirit, beginning in verse 1, When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. When the Apostle Paul arrived in Corinth, he had just previously been in Athens. While he was there in Athens, the center of culture and philosophy, and while Greece was not the major power because Rome had dominated and come in, the culture and philosophy of Greek was still persuasive over the entire world. Paul went to Rome, and there on Mars Hill, he saw all of these statues to the multiple gods that the Greeks had believed in, and there was one statue that had on its name, to the unknown God. And Paul took that as an opportunity and he sought to share the gospel with a message wrapped around their own statue to the unknown God. And he said, I want to tell you who that God is. And in that message, Paul sought to appeal to the intellectual mindset of that famous city. 
Now, there's some things we can learn about cross-cultural evangelism. But what Paul is sharing, as I shared the gospel in that setting, here's what the result was. In Athens, there were very few conversions to Jesus Christ. And instead of being thrown out of town, like Paul was quite frankly used to, where the gospel message had taken root and it so transformed the people that the non-believers got up in arms and threw him out of town. Instead of that happening, the apostle Paul basically was laughed out of town. And he was dismissed as simply a philosopher with another new idea. And you can take a look and find that Athens, historically, as far as the gospel of Jesus Christ goes, Athens never would become a strong center of a church that made any impact in the world. And even today, we see Athens as the center and culture of a Greek nation that is perhaps the largest debtor nation in the world They did not ultimately receive the gospel and let the gospel change their lives. So Paul came to Corinth. And he determined that in the empowerment of the gospel, he said, I rely on the Spirit of God to not only empower the message of the gospel, but also to empower the messenger, the man who shares the gospel. You see, he came and he decided, when I got to Athens, I decided to use a principle we call KISS. Keep it simple, Sam. That's what I'm going to use today. Keep it simple, Sam. And Paul said, I just came to Corinth and I decided I had tried to share and I had tried to appeal to intellect. I had tried to use a lot of philosophical ideas and I tried to weave those in so I could gain an intellectual here. I decided, listen, I'm keeping it simple. The gospel is simple. I actually love that simple thing. I probably give you more times than you know, but if you don't have it down, you need to have it down. Do you know what we mean by ABC? Our boys and girls do. How simple can you put it? A, I have to admit that I'm a sinner, that I am not perfect, that I need a Savior. B, I have to believe that God came into this world through his Son, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for my sin, buried in the tomb, rose again. C, I must confess that Jesus is Lord and then receive him as my Savior. How much simpler can God make it for us? That is so simple. A child can understand it and come to ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. I did when I was seven years old. But it's so simple that none of you adults here today... If you aren't a believer and you accepted Christ, it's so simple, none of us could brag about what we did to earn our salvation. God has made the gospel message simple. But there's power in that message. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us this. 
For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrates even to the dividing of the spirit and soul, the joints and the marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. C.H. Spurgeon once wrote and said, You don't have to defend the gospel. The Word of God is like a lion. Just loose it and let it go. It's strong enough to bring conviction to any sinner's heart. It's strong enough to change any sinner's life. The gospel has power in its message. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. In the Old Testament, Zechariah heard God and he said, This is the word of the Lord. Zerubbabel, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my, what? Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. We don't depend on ourselves to cause God's kingdom to grow. We're empowered by His Spirit, and we preach the gospel and share it. The message is simple, empowered by God. But Paul said, I want you to know when I came, I relied on the Spirit to empower the messenger. Paul took a look at himself. And you can take a look at yourself, I take a look at myself. Paul took a look at himself, and as a man, quite frankly, he wasn't much. Tradition holds that the Apostle Paul was small in stature. I consider that average size. That he was bow-legged, bald-headed, some of us are saying, and what's wrong with that? He was stocky, thick eyebrows, and a large nose. He had poor eyesight. So bad that he had to have somebody else writing his letters for him. And many commentators, my own study lends me to agree, I believe that Paul also was afflicted with epilepsy and probably suffered at times some grand mal seizures that caused him to feel very embarrassed and foolish out in public. Paul came to Corinth, and he had just gone from Athens where... His heart to see people trust Jesus did not materialize as much as he was used to in other towns. He came to Corinth, and after his missionary journey where he had been persecuted and kicked out of many towns, beaten in some towns, he came to Corinth and he was worn out. He understood what it is to be discouraged in your heart. He was worn out physically. He was worn out emotionally. He was out of money for his mission. He was longing for some friendship, and he was in need of rest. The fact is, Paul knew, and what he was sharing with the people of Corinth, the gospel message does not depend on the ability of man, but on the availability of man or woman who will say, God, here am I. Use me. Paul was saying, there was nothing in me it was anything special. I came to you in weakness. I came to you in fear. There were fears inside of my life. But I came to you and I preached a simple message, trusting the reliance of the Holy Spirit upon the messenger for God to do a work in your life. Some of you this morning, honestly, you may feel very inadequate 
may feel inadequate to the tasks that are set before you. That inadequacy is normal, it's real, but just as the gospel relies on the Spirit of God, I want you to remember today, the Spirit of God, of Jesus in you, allows this word to be true. Philippians 4, 13. Church, would you say this with me? I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Will you repeat that? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You can, I can, we can. The gospel of Jesus Christ is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. We rely on the Spirit to empower the gospel. The second thing we rely on the Spirit to do not only to empower the gospel, but to encourage us for the future. Listen to what Paul writes in verse 6. Paul says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, a wisdom that has been hidden and God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, No eye has seen, And no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who loved him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. Do you know that the gospel of Jesus Christ always has a forward look? It always has a forward look. There is always something ahead of the Christian in his life. There is always something ahead for the church of Jesus Christ in their lives. Uh, The future is not a bright future for unbelievers. In verse 6, Paul says the rulers of this age are coming to nothing. Listen to me. This world, as hard as this world can be, as many trials and hurts as this world can give, for the unbeliever, this world is as close to heaven as they'll ever come. Child of God, for you, this world, is as close to hell as you'll ever be. You see, the believer always has a great and glorious future beyond. But it's not just hereafter, it's also here and now. For God has great things in store for his children. When Jesus walked on earth, think back. Those Jewish leaders and those Roman leaders, the people enlarged by themselves. They had no idea who they saw right in front of them. They had absolutely no idea. Probably not many of you, like me, I'd never heard of Rob Cutshaw. Rob Cutshaw, I think he's still living, is what you would call a rock hound in North Carolina. Rob Cutshaw had a little even store on a 
street where he sold rocks. In North Carolina, they would go out, and what Rob did was what other rock hounds do, look for unique and interesting stones. And one day in 1982, Rob Cutshaw was out and walking through the woods, and he came upon and he found a big stone that really perked his interest, and he thought, that might be worth something. And he took that stone, and he brought it back to his store. He put that stone up for sale, and he said, I would have taken $100 if anybody would have bought it. And nobody wanted to buy that rock. So Rob took that stone. He thought it was kind of nice, but he took it, put it under his bed, put it in his closet. Over 18 years, Rob Cutshaw had this big, big stone. And then one day, 18 years later, he was watching a TV show. And he ended, so it's not 1982 when he found it, because it was 1992, I think, when it happened. I'm missing my dates. But he watched a TV show, and he saw this TV show had a big sapphire on it, and Rob Cutshaw said, I think my stone is a sapphire. He took it to a professional jeweler who cut it down. It was a sapphire. When a jeweler cut that stone, they noticed something very unique inside of it that looked like the Star of David that shined out of it. That rock that he found that he would have sold for 100 bucks 18 years earlier is called the Star of Diamonds, David Sapphire. It's a 2,111 carat sapphire valued at over $2 million. There are people that do not know what they have in front of them. They hear and they think, oh, that's just a church, that's just a religion. Child of God, do you realize what treasure you have? In the Word of God, the incarnate Word of God who lives in your heart, the inspired Word of God that you can go and open up every single day, you have a future in your life. You have something great, incredible, and valuable. And Paul quotes Isaiah 64.4. When Isaiah 64 says, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You know why this verse has special meaning to me particularly? Not only because of what it says about my life. My dad was 17 years old, give or take. He had dated a young girl there in Brooklyn, New York. And for her birthday, I think it was her 16th birthday, it may have been her 17th birthday, my dad gave this girl a blue Bible. As they were going on their separate ways, they had decided they were going to go different ways. He gave her a blue Bible, and my dad wrote inside of the cover of that Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. They went on their separate ways. He went to the... Did his military service, went to his college, became an engineer. Met my mom after a blind date. Spent 29 years together. They never thought they would have children. Went seven years. They literally thought they would not have children. They prayed 
If God would give him a child, dedicate the first child to him to be used in service, I did come along. And then three more came along. The last one, surprise, when she was 40. Mom died when she was 51 years old of cancer. And my dad's working through the next year. He had a contact with a girl from long ago who, 17 years earlier, her husband had left her, walked away with his secretary, left her with little kids. And she had done her best raising three kids at home. My dad and Kay Eckhart began a relationship, struck up that childhood friendship. And in August of 1983, my dad and Kay, I did a wedding for them, and she carried that Bible with that scripture in the flyleaf. Now, there are other things that transpired in the years to come, but you know what? My dad was faithful, and he took care, and let me tell you what happened in that relationship. Because my dad moved up to New Jersey and loved on her family, a son-in-law of Kay, who was not a believer, gave his heart to the Lord. A son who was not a believer gave his heart to the Lord. Every one of her grandchildren, to my knowledge, gave their heart to the Lord. Eternity will be better and more populated because I had a father who believed the reliance on the Spirit of God means that the future for the Christian and the future for the church is always brighter ahead than it was in the past. And therefore, we rely on the Spirit of God to encourage us in the future. There are going to be times when every one of us in your work, in your home, in your life, in a church, you're going to find discouragements will come. There are times when you feel like your dreams may end up being shattered. Listen at those times to the Word of God. Let the Spirit of God speak to you. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to prosper you and not harm you. They're plans to give you hope in a future. God's never going to do and lead the church or your life to do something that's going to bring you harm. In Acts chapter 23, 11, Paul was in prison. He thought maybe the dreams were shattered because he dreamed of getting to preach in Rome. And the following night, while Paul was in prison in Jerusalem, the Lord stood near Paul, and he said to this about his future, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The Spirit of God encourages us. For the future, and then finally, the Spirit of God. What do we rely on Him to do? We rely on Him to educate us. Verse 10, the Bible tells us that the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit, he doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He can't understand them because they're spiritually discerned. 
The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. And he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? No, we have the mind of Christ. I heard of a boy came to his dad and he asked a question. Dad, why does the wind blow? And his father said, I don't know. The boy said, Dad, where do clouds come from? Dad said, I don't know. The boy said, well, Dad, what makes a rainbow? Dad said, I don't know. The son finally asked, Dad, do you mind me asking all these questions? Dad said, why, no, son. If you don't ask any questions, how are you going to know the answers? (laughs) The problem is not asking questions. The problem is asking the wrong person who doesn't have the answer. But I know who has the answer. God has the answer. If you want the answer to how to have a great marriage, go to the Word. If you want the answer to how to arrange your finances, go to the Word. If you want the answer to how to have good relationships, go to the Word. Everything that you need in your life, God has the answer to. God knows all the answers. And as you open up the Word each week, in your home, in your Bible study class, here in the worship service, the reality is that the teacher is not the preacher. The teacher is the Spirit of God to take the Word and let it come into your heart so that you might have a mind that receives it and can apply it and put it into practice. Jesus said in John 14, 25, All of this I've spoken while I'm still with you, but then... The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He's going to teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. Family, this morning we come and we are reminded that we as a body, but we as individuals, you must, you must in your life rely on the Spirit of God to not only lead you and teach you, to encourage you, but to empower you for what God wants you to do. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the encouragement and the education, the empowerment of your word. And during this invitation moment, Lord, I believe there are some that you've already called, and they're going to come today. And Father, I believe there are others that you're calling right now. And Father, I pray that they will respond to what the Spirit of God is saying to their heart, that they will respond and say, I need to give my heart to Jesus today. Or I need to join this local church family and put my life where it can be used by God. Now, Father, I pray that you'll do your will and have your way in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, will you stand very quietly to your feet? As we open up this invitation, this is for anybody. Out on the balcony, God's speaking to somebody to come today. We invite you right now. Here on the floor, God's calling somebody to come right now. As we begin to sing, and as our staff comes, we welcome you. Come in response to the word and the movement of the Spirit of God.
Would you come? Lord, hear our cry. Come heal our land. Breathe life into these dry and thirsty souls. Oh, yeah. I want you to take care of this one. Lord, hear our prayer. Generation. 